0: Emanating from www.michaelnimmons.com, It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.
1: This is Michael Eric Dyson.
2: This is Rochelle Riley, straight out of Detroit. This is Dr.
3: Victoria Dooley at Dr. Dooley and Well
1: What up, everybody? It's your boy, comedian Jay Stevens. This is Frederick D. Haynes III.
3: I am Justin Cole, an author and anti-bullying activist.
2: I am Pam Perry. Hey everybody, this is Rochelle V Mann, CEO of Man-Made Production. This is Bree Diane,
3: international evangelist. Hey,
2: this is Candace Pretty Strange Flips. And what's up? This is Ty Scott King.
3: I was Craig and what's cracking Planet Earth? It's your boy Griff, comedian,
1: author, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, but a Jesus Christ. Lover. You understand me? And you're listening to Thinking
3: Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemes. Check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. I want you to give a warm, Thinking Out Loud Radio show welcome to Emmy Award winning WXYZ Channel 7 anchor woman and new
1: friend of the show, Miss Carolyn Clifford.
2: Well, thank you, Michael, and what a nice
1: introduction. So happy to be here. You know what I've got to do. i got to check out my man, Michael Nimmons, who is handling his business as he drops that knowledge. I like that because Frederick Douglass, for whom I'm named, says that knowledge unfits us for slavery. Truth sets us free. If you want to be free, you want to be
0: like Mike.
2: Check out the best radio show online. You're locked in right now to our listening. You're tuned into the and without thinking about it. Guess what? I'm thinking out loud right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And if you want to stay in the know, you better be listening to Thinking Out Loud radio show. you listening to the
1: Thinking Out Loud radio show.
2: Check out
3: Thinking Out Loud. Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. (laughs) Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Don't you dare touch that dial.
2: The Thinking Out Loud Radio Show with Michael Nimmin.
0: Featuring author, motivational speaker, and minister Michael Nimmin's. and speaker, Dr. Eddie
3: Connor. Uh, I was reading something the other day, and it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's been 50 years since uh, Dr. King was killed. And Fifty years later, they're still killing kings. You know, uh, to, to really speak truth to power, but also to, to speak to our young men about uh, police brutality, but also the whole spectrum that, in many cases, they live in the crosshairs of society. We can give them all the, the tips, tools, and things of the trade or how to govern yourself accordingly. But we see young men all across America. And we, you know, in uh, so many cases, we just become desensitized to a young man who is shot and killed because the police were threatened by the fact that he pulled something out of his pocket and it was a phone, but they thought it was a gun.
0: Practitioner and spokesperson, Dr. Victoria Dooley.
1: I do feel
2: strongly that as African American community and the church, we need to take mental illness more seriously and we need to make it okay for somebody to seek out healthcare for mental health issues other than prayer, absolutely 100%.
0: Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Rochelle Riley.
3: Uh, I I can tell you, and before we leave uh, Ali, let me tell you
1: that it wasn't just an interview with him, but my very first column, called for the city of Louisville to have a museum for him because at that time there was nothing bearing his name except a little
3: strip of street you know how it works in some cities where Martin Luther King Boulevard is in a
1: part of town but in the rest of the town it's named something else that column ran and the mayor and other folks who knew better and who were embarrassed by it said okay it's time and that helped
3: lead to this effort that had been going on for some time to raised $80 million to build the Muhammad Ali Center, which now exists on the banks of the Ohio River. We
0: bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show.
3: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I'm your host, author, motivational speaker and minister, Michael Nemens. And you're tuned in to the brand new edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. The show is giving voice to issues that matter to you. So very excited that you have tuned in to tonight's show. Um, just unbelievable how close we are to the end of the year. Just a few weeks away from 2020. Can you believe it? Um yeah I can't believe it either <laughs> uh where has the time gone? Where has the time gone but uh nevertheless again, we're so very excited that you've tuned in tonight uh we um took a little break last week. uh hope you had the opportunity the opportunity to uh, those that might have missed the show last week, uh, take an opportunity to go back and listen to some of the shows that we've done over, actually, this is our 140th show, believe it or not. We're just 10 shows away from 150 shows doing this show for two years. And um, we're just so very um, humbled and blessed to have this platform. And again, we thank you for tuning in to tonight's show. We want to welcome all of our new visitors, new, new um, listeners, I should say. Uh, To the Thinking Out Loud radio show It's a show where we talk politics We talk race, religion, popular culture And a lot more Tuesdays at 8pm Again you can listen to all your major podcasting networks Like Spotify, iHeartRadio TuneIn Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And as a bonus, you can also listen right from our personal ministry website, michaelnemons.com. There you can learn a little bit more about me exactly. Uh, We are author, speaker, and minister. You can go check out some of the books that we've written on michaelnemons.com, learn more about um, who we are as an individual. And, uh, of course, you can listen to all of our 140 shows right from MichaelNemis.com. We also want to make mention of the fact that our Thanksgiving Day show, which aired two weeks ago, was listened to in South Africa. That's right, guys. want to shout out Nicole Visor and God Knows Ronnie Jr., who is a South African artist, that Nicole Visor, who is his agent, um, sent us a song submission through our email address at thinking out Show at gmail.com. And, um, we, we played, the, played the song during our Thanksgiving Day show, and they're listening to it in South Africa, guys. I'm, I'm blown completely away. So, shouts out again to Nicole Vizer and uh, Ronnie, uh, God knows Ronnie Jr., we truly appreciate them. We hope that things are going well for them, and maybe one day we'll have them on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. So just wanted to let you guys know, man, our show is being listened to around the world. I can't believe it either. I'm pinching myself as we speak. We've got another great show in store for you on tonight. We're going to be talking to a good friend of ours, a professor and author, Jennifer Cobina. She is a professor of criminal justice at Michigan State University, my alma mater. And she is the author of Hands Up, Don't Shoot. Why the protests in Ferguson and Baltimore matter and how they changed America. Powerful book. We're going to be discussing this book as well as she's going to be sharing with us her critique an assessment of the American criminal justice system. I can't wait to share this powerful interview with you in just a few minutes. Also during our, what are you thinking about segment? We're going to be talking about what you're thinking about. And we're going to be talking about George Zimmerman's outlandish $100 million lawsuit against Trayvon Martin's parents. Can't believe it guys. Yeah, we're going to be sharing with you uh, this ridiculous lawsuit Uh, In our What Are You Thinking About segment. Also, talking about Walmart's apology. That's right, an ugly sweater apology Walmart had to make. We're going to be sharing with you more about that during our What Are You Thinking About segment. And finally, we're going to be introducing the new Miss Universe and sharing with you a historic moment and beauty pageant history for African-Americans. So we got a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss during tonight's show. So without any further ado, let's get to it.
2: You is live. A sea of race fists and silence.
3: 2020 fight is getting very real. Democrats jumping in, speaking out. Jussie Smollett. A month ago, few people knew who he was
0: you're watching the breakfast club
1: if you take it all into consideration Stephen a listen the argument that where, where you absolutely disgust me A D dilemma right now how you feeling better than i deserve you feel better today i'm getting there yeah
3: What's up, everybody? This is the December 10th edition of the What Are You Thinking About 7, where we talk about everything that you're thinking about. And we kick off tonight's show talking about everybody, everybody's favorite villain, and that is George Zimmerman. That's right. Um, he is back in the news. Um, George Zimmerman suing Trayvon Martin's family and others for $100 million. Yep, you heard it correctly, George Zimmerman. According to The Sun Sentinel, uh, the man acquitted of killing unarmed black teen Trayvon Martin in 2012 is now suing the boy's family, their attorney, and the prosecutors for damages in excess of $100 million. Really? The, the article goes on to say Zimmerman, a former Neighborhood Watch volunteer, has said he was defending himself while being attacked when he was shot and killed, when he shot and killed Trayvon Martin, 17 at the time, in a gated community in Central Florida, city of Sanford, in February 2012. I can't believe it's been seven years since this is, um, this is just taking place, and, I was listening to, um, I believe it was either Quake's House on SiriusXM or uh, Straight from the Heart, the um, uh, Kevin Hart's uh, uh, podcast, where they were talking about. I think they were talking about Trayvon Martin and this this outlandish and ridiculous hundred million dollar lawsuit that George Zimmerman is levying against Trayvon Martin's parents and. Um, How You know Really uh, This He is just I think Re-victimizing We talk about this In uh, the interview Actually with Professor uh, Cobina In just a few minutes And uh, she says she says it correctly that we, he is basically re-victimizing uh, the Trayvon Martin's family by levying this hundred million dollar lawsuit against him. It's just ridiculous. You know, although he was acquitted in uh, in, in the court of law and in my in, in in my mind and in many of um Many people's minds, especially in the black black community, he is not exo- he has not been exonerated. This man killed an innocent uh, black man, black young man, uh, young man uh, full of promise, 17 years old, minding his own business. And um, you all know the story. Just walking, and uh, this 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 man, you know, who was a self-proclaimed neighborhood watch volunteer. Uh, Called himself trying to protect his community from someone who actually lived in the community. And, um, you know, I, I, I can only imagine the hurt and the pain that Trayvon Martin's parents are still um, experiencing because of this loss. And even though it happened seven years ago, uh, it still, I'm sure, it feels like it happened yesterday in their minds. And so... Um, this is just frivolous it's, it's an insult to the black community It's an insult to his parents And, um, you know, th- th- this, there shouldn't be any court in America That should take up this lawsuit at all I- I'm completely against this And, um, you know, I know you, those who are listening on tonight Feel the same way it's, This is just Nonsense Also, in other news, uh, Walmart um, had to apologize for a Christmas sweater with Santa and cocaine yeah that's right you heard it you heard it right according to cnn business christmas sweater with santa and cocaine forces walmart to apologize you know i mean i'm I'm sure many of you know about the ugly sweaters i don't i don't you know i don't have one but i'm sure many of you might 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 have your office you know you have your office parties with the christmas sweaters (laughs) and um you know, the office parties with the Christmas sweaters But in recently I believe this was a Christmas sweater That Walmart was offering On uh, one of their third party websites Walmart Canada Is saying sorry for making available A Christmas sweater With an apparent drug reference The sweater features an image Of Santa Claus behind a table With three white lines That look similar to cocaine lines Below, the image is a phrase, let it snow. The Global News, a Canadian news organization, first first reported the apology. And here's what Walmart had to say. These sweaters sold by a third party. Of course, they're distancing themselves from it. Third-party seller on walmart.ca or .Canada, our website, do not represent Walmart's values and have no place on our website, Really? Walmart said in an updated statement Monday, we have removed these products, I hope you have, from our marketplace. We apologize for any unintended offense this may have caused. These sweaters were not offered on Walmart.com in the U.S. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) That makes it all better. They're only offered in Canada. Give me a break. I mean, I, I don't understand these major retail outlets like Walmart. And, you know, we recently, well, a few sh- a little while ago, there was, um, you know, these fashion companies that were coming out apologizing for um, fashion faux pas um, that they call them, you know, uh, making racist um references uh, in their clothing lines to monkeys and 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 very um, uh, very uh, dark and sinister um, references to you know blacks and african-americans in their apparel and you know here we have another major retail company like walmart that's doing something similar and I, i i wonder you know is this just a reflection of poor uh, internal business practices on the part of Walmart? Because you know, I know this this particular item had to pass several uh, people's desks before it made it to their website. It had to, and this is the same thing we brought up when we talked about these uh, instances uh, in the in that that you know these companies had to apologize for, like. Uh, I can't recall the the names offhand at at this particular moment, but these companies having to all of a sudden apologize uh, for uh, something that made it to their website. It just really begs the question, what's really going on here? You know, of course this had to have been seen by uh, more than just one person before it made it to a website. I cannot believe you can't convince me that this, this sweater, was um, was only seen by one person and the person is the one who ultimately uploaded it to the website i can't believe that and i know you can't either <laughs> if you haven't seen the, the the ugly sweater you can go to our website or i'm sorry go to our facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash thinking out loud radio show you'll be able to see uh and read the article and judge for yourself what do you think That um, you know, of course, Walmart is going to be distancing themselves from this, but somebody in their company uploaded this to their website, and it was definitely um, you know very insensitive um, and poor taste, and uh, you know, and 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 somebody should lose their job as a result of it. You know what I'm saying? I I, I know you. I know you agree. (laughs) Just ridiculous. And finally, last but certainly not least, we're very excited to announce that Miss Universe was crowned on this past Sunday. Zozabina Tunzi, according to CNN, was crowned Miss Universe Sunday night. After excelling through rounds of swimsuit and evening gowns, struts, questions on social issues, and one final chance to explain why she was the right choice. She said, I grew up in a world where a woman who looks like me, with my kind of skin and my kind of hair, was never considered to be beautiful. She said in her last response, I think it is time that that stops today. I want children to look at me and see my face, and I want them to see their face. Reflected in mine Truly remarkable words from a truly remarkable woman So very excited for her Zozabina Tunzi From South Africa Crown Miss Universe Sunday night And also very very excited According to the New York Times Miss America Miss Team USA Miss USA And now Miss Universe Are all black women They're all women of color. That is truly remarkable. That is is wonderful. Very, very excited to announce that on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, according to the New York Times, despite a long history of segregation and racism, America's top pageants have broken racial barriers in recent decades. Vanessa Williams becoming the first black woman to win Miss America in 1984. Carol Jis won Miss USA in 1990. Janelle Bishop won Miss Teen USA in 1991. But today, Ch- Ches- Chesley Chris, 28, won the mission USA contest. Kylie Garris, 18, won Miss Team USA. And they joined Nia Franklin, 25, who was crowned as a the 2019 Miss America in September. And they all joined the newly crowned Miss Universe, Tunzi, Zoe, Miss um, uh, Zosabina Tunzi of South Africa. And they are all women of color Very, very proud of all of these pageants Very, very proud of these women They have become the standard bearers Standard bearers And are very very excited for them. That is the What Are You Thinking About segment for the December 10th edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you got any questions or comments about anything that we discussed during this segment or any part of the show, feel free to drop us a line and contact at michaelnemons.com or leave us a comment right from our Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud radio show or go to our website at michaelnemons.com And leave us a comment right from our show page At TOL Radio Show Or you can hit us up On Instagram and Twitter At TOL Radio Show Host MSN Or uh, The TOL Radio Show A lot of ways you can keep up with us We love to get your feedback On anything that we discuss during tonight's show well, we're going to take our first break of the night, but when we come back, we are getting right into our interview with our good friend, professor and author, Jennifer Kobina of Michigan State University. You don't want to go anywhere. You are tuned in to one of the hottest radio shows online. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back.
0: you tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.
1: Hi, my name is Maya and you're listening to the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. With radio show host and my
0: daddy Michael Nimitz. You better listen to that little girl.
3: Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you get you to believe?
0: Who told you that you were naked? It's a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nemes talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis with the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95, or by visiting michaelnemons.com. you like
1: a
3: victim when you are already victorious.
2: We're Detroit, Choir, and you're listening to the King Out Loud radio show.
0: Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.
3: This is Derek Mason, former all-pro wide receiver of the NFL. I'm sending my man Michael Nemens a special, special two-year anniversary with the Thinking Out Loud radio show, man. I am so proud of you, man. Keep doing your thing. Let's make this two years turn into four, and then four into forever, man.
0: The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.
3: This is radio host Michael Nimmons, and yes, it's tax time. Haven't filed yet? No worries. We've got the place for you. Consumer Tax Clinic. Take it from someone who knows. They will sit down with you, go over your return, give great advice, and look for the best possible return options. Let the experts at Consumer Tax Clinic help you get the refund you never thought you could. They did it for me. Let them do it for you. Call Consumer Tax Clinic at 248-395-0078. That's 248-395-0078. Or visit their website at consumertaxclinic.com. That's consumertaxclinic.com. Consumer Tax Clinic, a tax service designed with you in mind.
1: You tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show.
0: Keep it locked, keep
3: it locked, keep it locked. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on another great edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show, and we have a very special guest on the line with us on tonight. I can't wait to get into this discussion. As you know, the show, the title of the show is entitled "Hands Up, Don't Shoot." We have a dynamic and powerful. Uh, individual on the line. I can't wait to share this interview with you. But I want to give her a proper introduction before we get into it. So she is an associate professor in the School of, uh, School of Criminal Justice at Michigan State University, my alma mater. She received her Ph.D. in criminal justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis in 2009. Her research examines the intersection of race, gender, and how neighborhoods con Context, context shapes, crime, and criminal justice practices. Dr. Cobina's research has been published in, her, in high-ranking criminology journals. She's here to discuss her latest book entitled Hands Up, Don't Shoot, Why the Protests in Baltimore and Ferguson Matter, and How They Changed America. I want you to give a warm, thinking out loud radio show welcome to new friend of the show and good friend of ours, associate professor of criminal justice at Michigan State University, Ghost Spartans. Dr. Jennifer Cobina. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, Dr. Cobina.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
3: Absolutely. We are so, so very happy to have you on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Uh, We know you're very busy and we, um, you know, this is the holiday season for a lot of people, for everybody, I should say. Uh, But I I, I really believe that this is a conversation worth having on tonight, uh, dealing with the subject of Hands Up, Don't Shoot, your latest book uh, dealing with the uh, protests that took place in uh, Baltimore and Ferguson and how they changed America. But before we get into that, uh, Professor Kobina, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure. Um, So I am an associate uh, professor in the School of Criminal Justice at Michigan State University. I've been working at Michigan State University for the past 10 years, and I did receive my doctorate from the University of Missouri-St. Louis, and I actually lived in St. Louis for five years while pursuing uh, my doctorate. Um, However, I am uh, from Canada. I am from Toronto. I am a Canadian citizen, but I've uh, been living in the United States now for about 18 years.
3: Oh wow! Wow, go Spartans! By the way, uh, Michigan State University—we de- we definitely have that in common—and uh, so very happy to have you on the show. And I didn't know you were uh, teaching at Michigan State for ten years. Wow, that's that's remarkable.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, time flies. <laughs> yeah.
3: Absolutely. Um, how did you get your start at Michigan State?
2: Um. To be honest, uh, once I uh, received my doctorate, um, I had interviewed at several different places, uh, but Michigan State was on the top of my list um, uh, for several reasons. It's a great, respectable institution. It's um, considered to be uh, top ten in criminology. It's a Big Ten institution. And so once they offered me the job, I I knew I wanted to uh, be part of uh, this institution. And so, so 2009, August 2009 is when I started working at Michigan State. And I've been uh, really happy about that move.
3: Absolutely. So happy to have Dr. Jennifer Kobina, professor of criminal justice at Michigan State University, my alma mater, right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show with us on tonight. And so I want to get into our discussion about your book, Uh, Hands Up, Don't Shoot, Why the Protests in Baltimore and Ferguson Matter. Uh, Dr. Kobina, tell us about your book and what inspired you to write it.
2: Yeah, so when the deaths of uh, Michael Brown and Freddie Gray occurred, you know, I was uh, very concerned. Uh, Like most people, I witness on television and social media uh, this great demand for social justice from uh, many of the community members Uh, particularly following uh, Michael Brown's death. And uh, what happened in Ferguson really felt personal to me because, as I mentioned, I lived in St. Louis uh, uh, while pursuing my doctorate at the University of Missouri, uh, St. Louis, and I lived there for five years. Um, And I lived in a city that was only a couple of minutes away from Ferguson. And so I certainly cared about what was happening in this area that I had um, uh, lived and called home for five years. But the opportunity – to contribute to something, I uh, really came when a colleague of mine invited me, along with a number of um, qualitative scholars, uh, social justice researchers. Um, he reached out to many of us um, to uh, to to interview and docu- to see if anyone wanted to. Go to Ferguson and interview protesters, and so uh, this group became known as the Ferguson Research Action Collaboration Group. And so we are primarily interested in really documenting the experiences of uh, Ferguson protesters after the killing of Michael Brown. We were well aware that history was in the making, and all of us were uh, uh, seeing what was going on on television. And we wanted—we knew as academics, as researchers, this is an opportunity to uh, again document the experiences of, um, of protesters um, and so I essentially ended up writing this book because uh, uh, there was really so much to tell. I didn't go in uh, I didn't go to Ferguson intending to write a book but there was so much uh, um, rich narratives from uh, the participants in the study that I, the reality is people deserve to have their voices heard and uh, they de- people deserve also to hear from the voices of those who were protesting and so that's really how I got started uh, with this project.
3: Wow, what were some of your findings when you were there in Ferguson?
2: so uh, the, uh, there was a few a few findings so uh, first, I will say that uh, the majority of protesters and And residents in Ferguson and Baltimore that I spoke with had negative encounters with the police. And I will say this even included um, people who had uh, encounters with black officers. But what I found is that there are racial distinctions. And so, for instance, uh, whites were often afforded uh, respect and given the benefit of the doubt uh, by police. Um, And on the other hand, you know, blacks were often the recipients of aggressive policing, racial profiling, and even disrespectful uh, behavior. Um, And so I can give you an example. So imagine, for instance, that, you know, you're a teenager playing basketball with your friend in your neighborhood, and two police officers in a police car come down the street. They tell you to get off the street, and your friend stares at them as they drive by. And now imagine that the police does a U-turn, gets out of the car, and grabs your friend, slams him on the hood of the car, and says, what are you looking at? And now, also imagine that you find your voice in the midst of this aggressive encounter, and you ask the officer, uh, What is he doing? and that he's being too rough on your friend. And then this police officer tells you to shut the F up, right? So, this is what happened to Kevin, who was a black resident of uh, Ferguson. And so, uh, and this was, I will say, Kevin's um, experience was not. Um, An outlier, you know, many uh, African-American, particularly African-American men, uh, or boys, and they often um, detailed the negative interactions that they had with police officers. Um, So that was one finding. I will say the other is that it, um, it was the cumulative impact of negative police encounters by Ferguson and Baltimore residents that really set the stage for the reactions to the killings of both Michael Brown and Freddie Gray. So what I found is that the majority of activists who protested they did so for the first time. So they protested because they believed that Michael Brown and Freddie Gray, that they were victims of injustice. But not only that, they also knew that these deaths were not isolated events. Um, and they knew that these deaths were not isolated events because they can uh, point to their own personal experiences, or if not their personal experiences, then indirect experiences you know, that other people had with the police, uh, such as friends, family members, neighbors. Um, they were aware of other high-profile killings. And so people protested because they believed that Michael Brown and Freddie Gray were victims of injustice, that these deaths were not isolated events. But there was also a good number who protested because they essentially felt a moral and ethical obligation to get involved and to do something. And so uh, people desired to affect change and really put an end to police violence and the criminalization of people of color.
3: Wow. 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 I know you guys are enjoying our interview with associate professor of criminal justice at Michigan state university, Dr. Jennifer Colbina. We're so happy to have her on the thinking out loud radio show. And she's really just been sharing with us some insights from her book entitled hands up. Don't shoot uh, why the uh, protests in Baltimore and Ferguson matter and how they changed America. And really, um, you know, you just really shed some light on, um, a problem that I believe not only exists uh, in Ferguson, and Baltimore, but across this country. Um, you know, we've talked about this on our show in several uh, several instances, in several shows. Um, and, you know, Dr. Kobina, um, as a professor of criminal justice at Michigan State, you know, I want you to, to, I want you to give your critique of the American criminal justice system as it relates to African, African-American boys and men. Uh this again is a subject we've discussed on our show, but I'm really interested in knowing what your take is on um on and, and your criticisms of the American criminal justice system.
2: Yeah, so I would say that, you know, we in the United States we, we're currently in an era of mass incarceration and we've been uh in this era for quite some time, um, where cr- currently there's about 2.2 million people who are incarcerated in um, American jails and prisons, and this um, uh, this African Americans, Black and Brown people are disproportionately represented. So uh, African Americans comprise of 13% of the uh, U.S. population, but about um, uh, a third of those who are actually behind bars, and similarly, uh, Latino uh, Latino um, individuals comprise of about uh, the same number, about 13 to 15 percent of the population, and yet about um, uh, 20 or so percent of people who are uh, behind bars. And so, uh, so again, Black and Brown people are uh, disproportionately more likely to be. Um, to have contact with the criminal justice system, to be behind bars. And, you know, what we know is that, you know, we've spent uh, the past 40 years or so really being tough on crime. And yet um, the reality is what we know, what the evidence shows is that even when, regardless of whether or not crime rates are going up or down, we have continued to incarcerate more and more people. And so um, uh, incarceration has not, not been shown to um, be um, incredibly helpful in reducing reoffending rates. The reality is we know that two-thirds of people who are released from prison end up reoffending, right? And so prisons are really also not good places uh, if we're trying to uh, uh, help people, uh, to keep them from reoffending. Um, it, in, in, in essence, it can become even uh, more people can become even more criminogenic, and so that by that I mean that uh, by being imprisoned it can actually result in people committing uh, more crimes, particularly if their needs are not being addressed and so I do think it's really important when we're talking about the criminal justice system to uh, consider alternatives to imprisonment Um, uh, a good number of people uh, well over 40 percent of people who are behind bars have committed non-violent offenses um, drug offenses and property offenses and I think when we're talking about issues of drug crimes or or drug offenses this we need to take a public health approach uh, to that um which we have now seen uh, beginning to happen as we uh, talk about um, uh, individuals now uh, being caught up uh, with like uh, like uh, opioids and and meth. You know now there's a lot more talk about taking a public health approach uh, to um, to people who are struggling with substance addiction. That um, I, I just think it's incredibly problematic that particularly in the 80s and 90s when there was the war on drugs, which largely affected um, uh, African Americans, um, that the, the reality is we looked at these um, individuals who are struggling with drug addiction. Uh, uh, the way we treated them is we, to criminalize them.
3: Right. Maybe
2: we have people serving uh, uh, who are behind bars serving long periods of uh, uh, time behind bars, if particularly they were uh, caught using, for instance, crack cocaine, where um, crack cocaine, the majority of people who use crack were African-Americans. But even there's a disproportionate um, sentencing in terms of how, when we look at crack cocaine versus powder cocaine, right? And so there's so many racial inequities that exist within the system, which uh, is why we see a disproportionate number of black and brown people behind bars. And so um, I do think it's incredibly important to start looking at um, alternatives to incarceration, uh, as well as even investing in, in our communities, um, and even I talk a little bit more about that in my book, um, given some of the findings that I found um, in my book.
3: Don't don't, don't 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 touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. We'll be right back.
0: This is Anthony White from the Detroit Youth Concert Choir, Artistic Director, and you're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.
2: You're listening to The Thinking Out Loud Radio Show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. You're sending
3: in to The Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. I know you're enjoying our interview with author and professor, Dr. Jennifer Cobina. Let's get back into this insightful and informative interview. Hmm. That's very interesting. Very interesting. You know, um, as you begin to talk about uh, what happened in Ferguson and, and in Baltimore, uh, with the uh cases of Mike Brown and um and Freddie Gray Mike Brown in particular I remember um watching um the prosecutor for Mike Brown uh, when he walked in to uh make his announcement the press conference that he held uh to announce the the charges that they were going to to file um against the uh the police officer Uh, you know, whether they were going to be first degree murder charges uh, or not. And I just remember seeing that prosecutor limp into the courtroom to announce those charges. And I thought to myself that this really is a metaphor for just how twisted and corrupt the American criminal justice system is, because uh, we were expecting the the, the prosecutor to announce first degree charges against um, Mike Brown's murderer, uh, but what ended up happening was that lesser charges were uh, were recommended uh, in that particular case. And of course, lesser charges means that, you know, if convicted, he would serve his sentences would be uh, less lenient or or more lenient rather than first degree murder charges, which is what we all believe should have happened in this particular case. Uh, and, and And we've seen this happen with Trayvon Martin, with Freddie Gray, with Sandra Bland, with others uh countless others uh Eric Garner uh who you know we've seen their murders played out right in front of us through social media and video and it just seems like um you know justice was not served in those cases you know it just really you know makes you makes you wonder you know is this criminal justice system um you know set up against us as african-americans
2: i do even say that in the book i talk about how you know the killings of michael brown and freddie gray That these killings are not outliers right but rather i i argue that they're examples of racial bias and even racial hostility and even um uh, legalized racial subordination and even police practices that really target black individuals um And this is not simply a product of individual uh, discriminatory police officers, but really uh, what I argue in the book is that it's a result of uh, deep historical uh, forces that um, follow a pattern of social control over black people. And this is really entwined in the very fabric of the United States. So I think one of the... uh, One of the things I think I'm contributing to the book is um, I do uh, link how the history of racism and violence is connected to um, contemporary experiences that black individuals are having in this day and age. And I think it's important to understand uh, the historical context. Right. For instance, we know that this nation was founded on a system of slavery, but what many people don't know is that the origins of policing in the United States can be directly tied to the institution of slavery. Mm. Slave patrols were among the first state-sponsored police forces, and they controlled the slave population. Um, but to defend their slave property interests, uh, slave codes were established by lawmakers, and slave codes were essentially state laws that defined the status of uh, slaves and, and their owners and really gave um, the owners absolute power to govern their slaves as chattel or property. But yet when uh, slavery was abolished, states still relied on legal systems and the prison system to uh, maintain racial subordination. So, for instance, we saw the establishment of black codes, which are simply uh, uh, the creation of making laws, uh, making certain behaviors an offense, um, such as loitering or vagrancy. And anyone who was found in violation of these laws were to be punishable by fines or imprisonment for up, for up to a year or and even forced labor, even though uh, slavery had been abolished. And so these uh, discriminatory laws, these laws were discriminatory because they were selectively applied to African Americans. Mm. When black codes were overturned, we saw that southern uh, many uh, states they uh, pursued racial subord- racial segregation, in an attempt again to uh, ensure white supremacy and black subordination. And so, this is what led to the uh, proliferation of Jim Crow, which um, uh, really established different rules for blacks and the rights. And so it essentially regulated the nature of interracial social contact. And so what we're seeing is that from slave patrols to slave codes to black codes and Jim Crow laws, the racially biased legislation has been enforced for well over 250 years. And the reason why this is important is because the effects are still lingering in this day and age. And today it plays out largely in, in terms of mass incarceration, where I mentioned earlier that we see largely black and brown individuals being disproportionately um, imprisoned
3: it's just really dis really disheartening you know uh listening to you know you describe the inequities that exist within the criminal the american criminal justice system and and um it leads me to my next question um regarding that i want to d- delve even deeper into it um d- doctor uh director rather ava DuVernay um did an interview on cnn when she was promoting uh her uh recent netflix docu series entitled um, on, on based on the exonerated five when they see us uh, she said in this interview the criminal justice system isn't broken it is actually doing what it was designed to do and that is to incarcerate our young, blo- young black boys and men. I wonder Dr. Kobina, uh, do you agree or disagree with her assessment?
2: So I, I agree. I agree that the system is really operating in such a way, you know, the way it was intended. Um, and, and that's only because, um it we continue like decades after decades after decades you know of incarcerating people and seeing the detrimental effect it has on individuals um, it, it, we continue to do that and and the only time we seem to quote unquote wake up is when states for instance can no longer afford to uh, continue this um, trajectory of incarcerating more and more people right um, and, and so so you know, the reality is uh, insufficient attention has been put, has been paid to the legacy of uh, racism that affects uh, not only, for instance, in Baltimore, but communities nationwide, and it's and it is widely visible in America's criminal justice system, from uh, from policing, where uh, people, uh, largely black and brown people, end up getting arrested to, you know, the courts where they're more likely, where they're then likely to be prosecuted, to imprisonment, where they're more likely to experience more severe um, uh, sentencing compared to white individuals. I mean, there's tons of evidence that show this. And even when people, uh, uh, yeah, so when people are behind bars, they're receiving much longer periods of time behind bars. Um, And so I do think it's incredibly important for us to uh, understand how the historical uh, context, historical racial oppression continues to play a role because there is a continuity occurring from past to present. And so, as I mentioned, one of the goals of the book of Hands Up, Don't Shoot is to really shed light on how uh, historical racial oppression continues to play out in modern day race relations, in police practices, as well as the criminal justice system.
3: Wow. I know you guys are enjoying our interview with Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Michigan State University, Dr. Jennifer Cobina. So happy to have her on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And we're just talking about the criminal justice system. And, you know, is it broken or is it doing what um, it was actually designed to do? And she's talked to to us and shared with us uh, just how slavery, um, um, there's evidence that uh policing goes all the way back to slavery days and how uh how things were done on the plantations and how they have uh have they how they have evolved into uh the way policing is executed in this day and time and and we can see you know, again, how disproportionately African Americans are treated versus their white counterparts, and it's really just uh, a very telling statistics that she shared with us on how uh, African American boys and men are treated um, in this society when it comes to uh, policing. And 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 so, you know, when you talk about criminal justice reform, you know, what does that look like? You know, um, and and how how can how can real change occur um you know in this criminal justice system you know we 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 kind we constantly hear uh that being touted criminal justice reform we can we constantly hear uh that 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 being said but what does uh, real criminal justice reform look like in this country so yeah
2: so it can look very there are a number of different um, ways in which we can uh, approach reform, reforming the criminal justice system, right? So this can be where uh, we're looking at either uh, back-end policies where we're attempting, or I should say front-end, where we're attempting to reform sentencing policies, right? So, um, so that uh, individuals are not receiving uh, such uh, long periods of time uh, behind bars. Uh, but there is also uh, back end, so well, I should say that would be more uh, back end. And so that ultimately where people are being released um, earlier, because there is evidence that shows that incarcerating people for longer periods of time is not uh, making us safer. There's also, in terms of reform, when we, if we're thinking about alternatives to incarceration, for instance, if people have contact with the uh, criminal justice system, then looking at either diversionary programs or uh, uh, placing people on uh, probation or even just really uh, – ministering to the needs of individuals Um, and also I think it's incredibly important to invest in communities because I know what I do also argue in my book is based upon what I found is that doubling down on investments in the police and the criminal justice system is not the answer because we've been doing that for the past 40 years. But uh, we continue to see, um, you know, uh, individuals uh, dying at the hands of the police. And so I do think it's important to uh, put more dollars or invest in marginalized individuals and communities. Uh, For instance, we know that structural disadvantage and pervasive inequality, uh, joblessness and and, um, uh, poverty, uh, inadequate public services. These are all common characteristics of poor inner city communities. And so not surprisingly, Crime does take place in these neighborhoods, and then, all, and then what we see is, you know, uh, uh, police then um, uh, targeting, uh, looking, you know, in, they're in these neighborhoods and then start uh, viewing uh, residents uh, with suspicion. And so funds should be used on prevention and intervention initiatives for at-risk youth and young adults. Um, it's it's incredibly important for dollars to be spent on addressing mental health and substance abuse and homelessness because you know currently uh, the way we treat individuals who fall in these categories we typically demonize them um, um, ostracize them, and criminalize them and so but if investments were made or if resources were provided in these neighborhoods where we're bringing more jobs into poor communities, offering living wages, uh, and providing quality education. I do believe that uh, these are various ways in which, so I'm trying to not just look at the criminal justice system, but also addressing the root, uh, what I believe is uh, some of the root causes of uh, uh, suburban and even urban uh, disadvantage and crime. And I believe when that happens, then ending the killings of black people, um, I I believe that ending the killing of black and brown people really requires doubling down on investments in the community. And so um and so I know you asked about criminal justice reform and so and as I mentioned that can look that in terms of when we're talking about that I think it's important to look at uh, expanding alternatives to incarceration and uh reforming uh sentencing policies, but I also think it's incredibly important to invest in communities, but but largely marginalized communities.
3: And you know, I I, I agree uh, with much of what you said about investing in the communi- in the communities and and really um again um you know taking uh, the time to uh investigate uh criminal behavior uh in our in the in marginalized communities and and the origins of it and 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 the economics of it because you know we 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 always say that you know um, I think it was Malcolm X who said something to that effect when you live in a poor community you go to poor schools when you go to poor schools uh you get poor jobs when you uh when you when you we have when you get poor jobs you live in a poor community, so it's a cyclical effect for uh, African-Americans who live in those those type of neighborhoods and type of communities. But the part that I that I didn't get um, out of out of what you said or talk or discuss rather was and I and I hear this this said often as well that there isn't uh, reform that's happening in uh, the police departments across the country because uh, for me it seems to be p- policing is done differently uh, not just state from state to state but almost from city to city you know there are different um, uh, you know practices different things that are being done training is different in in, in each department and there needs to be in my opinion some uniformity um, in the policing of our, uh, communities across the country and you know and if there was some- uh some uniformity there um because it just doesn't seem to me that the police officers that are uh you know involved in these type of incidents that that have taken the lives of Eric Garner and Freddie gray and mike brown and and uh and others. are are even watching the news to see the community outcry of of what's happened, the backlash, the impact, and the effects of of their actions. You know, other police officers are – doesn't seem to me like they're watching this because this is continuing to happen. In my mind, I I would think that if I saw – if I was a police officer and I saw uh, one of my fellow uh, officers uh, brutally beat and kill – um, a uh, an innocent black person, a black man, a black female, that it would, you know, it would cause me to, to wonder, am I doing my job the right way? You know, cause me to, to look internally at some of the things that I've been trained to do and, and how I can, you know, do things differently and definitely not to do, uh, make the same mistakes that um that that this you know this person made or or, or, or what or, or you know if if you understand what i mean so i say all that to say that there really needs to be some uniformity across the board across the country in training our police officers what do you think about that
2: yeah so i wholeheartedly believe uh, agree with you that there does need to be additional uh training um Uh, So, and I will say that even there have been some attempts uh, for for there to be, um, I guess I should say, a reconciliation between uh, police and uh, the community, some communities of color. So, for example, the National Initiative for Building Community Trust and Justice um, at John Jay uh, College. What they've done is they're trying to seek to improve relationships and increase trust between communities and and the criminal justice system. Um, uh, And what they're doing is, in an attempt to foster reconciliation, is they're addressing a lot of the historical uh, tension and the grievances uh, the, that prevent police and communities from working together and I do it, it, one of that is definitely training is necessary, but with this process what they're igno- what they 're doing is they 're addressing uh, the long American history of legal abuse of minorities, uh, which I think is incredibly important they 're also um, you know law enforcement and communities of color they're having discussions about how uh, traditional law enforcement has been has sometimes been ineffective and caused um, damages to has caused damage to individuals and families and communities and they're they're having discussions about how uh, police agencies and individual officers have often treated minority individuals and communities Uh, and so I think And, you know, uh, this process, uh, from what I've uh, read um, about this, that this process is revealing some common ground. That common ground is, you know, we know that police officers want to be safe, but we also know community members want also to be protected and to be served, and they want to be safe. And so um, I think more of this is needed to improve relationships and to build uh, trust, Um, and I agree with you that, yes, training is needed, and the only thing, you know, uh, that I would say to that is, you know, you know, the Michael Brown incident, the Freddie Gray incident, you know, the incident, so many incidences of other uh, black and brown individuals occurring has has taken place in an era where people, you know, police officers have been receiving training, right? So they have been, for example, receiving implicit bias training and de-escalation training. They have, you uh, you know, then we're seeing all types of training, and yet we still see we we still see this happening. And I think I agree that certainly there has to be a system systemic, uh, 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 like a centralized way in which um, all departments um, are are training their officers, and even where officers are also held accountable. Um, so I agree that training needs to happen. I'm just concerned too that. Um, and there's certainly a place for training and greater oversight. Um, but I do think the focus can't just solely be on um, uh, investing more dollars in law enforcement just because millions of dollars has been pumped into police departments for over the past four decades. You're tuned in to the Thinking.
0: giving voice to issues that matter to you award-winning journalist carolyn clifford
2: as journalists we just have to keep doing what we're doing day in and day out and all we can do is report the truth in a
1: non-biased manner and everything else will work itself out
0: activists and thought leader marcia l dyson
2: Obviously not Nancy Pelosi, because again, because of social media, she said what she said, but that she's not going to be the ones who stopped uh, her colleagues from not only thinking out loud, but talking out loud, whoever they are uh, authentically.
0: Pastor and intellectual,
2: Dr.
1: Frederick Haynes III. In the black church, according to the uh, brilliant author and historian and scholar L.H. Welchow, Uh, He said the black church was born as a protest movement. Uh, That's the reason the black church came to be. And if we're going to be honest to uh, scripture, I mean, the church itself uh, came out protesting. It was a movement of prophetic witness uh, to, you know, the insurrection of the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
0: We bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show.
2: Listening to the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. You
3: tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. Enjoyed our interview with author and professor, Dr. Jennifer Cobina. Let's hear the conclusion of this informative and insightful interview. And, and I, and I agree uh, with you that uh, money has been, uh, you know, uh, put into uh, police departments around the country, um, you know, for decades, but You know, to me, it seems like these 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 monies are being used not necessarily for training, but to you know upgrade their equipment and uh, to yeah to be used to um, you know show up uh, their their uh, you know uh, their their arsenal of weaponry and whatever else they you know they might need to to help them in policing. But training is not something that that seems to me to be a a high on their their list of priorities, especially, you know, in this, 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 this era of, um, uh, increased police brutality in the African American community. And, you know, it just seems to me like there just needs to be a, uh, a, a training a, a retraining of officers nationwide. Um, it, and because it just, you know, it, especially when you see, um, uh, you know, families like, um, Um, the, um, you know, the recent police off the recent Amy Geiger who, who walked in accidentally or claims to have accidentally walked into, uh, the, the, um, the home of, uh, the name escapes me at the moment, unfortunately, but, um, the, uh, the young man who was sitting in his apartment and, um, you know, minding his own business. And she thought she was in the wrong apartment and she shot and killed him. And, you know, people are not, you know, then there was a just just ap- just after that incident, there was another uh, incident similar to that in te- in Dallas, Texas, that happened where a police officer shot into a home from the outside instead of knocking on the door, using using proper police protocol. Those protocols were not not put in, the not being used or put or practice or put in place. I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me like um You know, that they are, that you don't see these things being, being done. Um, police protocol is not being used.
2: Yeah, I agree that there's a need for all of it. definitely a need for new training uh, regimes. And, uh, I would even argue the elimination of militarized tactics.
3: Right, right. Greater
2: oversight of the police. There's a need for enhanced accountability. Absolutely. Um, um, and so I think uh, the way I look at it is, you know, yes, there is a need for uh, so much of this to happen within the police department, but I also uh, think it's important to um, uh, address some of the structural problems uh, that go on in the neighborhood. And the reason I say that is because uh, many um, poor, uh, marginalized communities um it, the reality is it affects, you know, as I mentioned, some of the uh, characteristics that go on in these neighborhoods I, um, in terms of many of these neighborhoods are characterized by high rates of unemployment and poverty and a lack of resources. And oftentimes there's a long history of structural uh, discrimination, racial isolation. And so that ultimately affects the type and quality of policing that occurs in these neighborhoods, right? And so oftentimes it's these officers coming into these neighborhoods and often viewing all residents. Who live in these neighborhoods because they can't, you know, they they're living in poor neighborhoods. They can't afford to move. But now officers are often viewing all residents with suspicion, even though we know from the literature that very a very small number of people engage in a, engage in uh, uh, serious forms of crimes. But yet you have uh, neighborhood residents often being viewed with suspicion, often unfortunately being treated uh, uh, disrespectfully, and sometimes being the recipient of aggression by the police. And so I I think there's a number of things uh, that do need to happen from um, investing in communities and having economic development as well as having increased training within uh, the police department as well.
3: Hmm. I know you guys are enjoying our discussion on tonight with my good friend, Associate Professor of criminal justice at Michigan State University, Dr. J- Jennifer Cobina. So happy to have her on the Thinking Out Loud radio show and, you know, just really, in, um, you know, just in, just um, enjoying her, uh, you know, shedding insight on, um, you know, her research uh, into uh, criminal justice. And, and she's actually sharing with us uh, some revelations from her new book entitled uh, Hands Up, Don't Shoot you know, why the uh, protests in Baltimore and Ferguson matter and how they changed America just seems like a great book to read. I definitely want uh, a copy of it as well. Uh, And I'm recommending you, those that are listening on tonight to get you a copy of this book, because I guarantee it's going to give you some insights into our community as African-Americans and why, um, you know, uh, this, this is uh, such a, uh, such a hot topic and one that really needs to be addressed, not just internally, but even externally. When we look at, um, changes, uh, that need to happen in the criminal justice system. Um, and so professor, you know, here lately, we're talking about uh, something that just recently popped up in the news. Um, you know, I want to talk briefly about, um, Trayvon Martin who we all know was, um, killed, murdered by George Zimmerman, um, some years ago, uh, just a young man walking out, out for a walk, uh, in his own community and was accosted by, uh, George Zimmerman, who was not a police officer. Uh, he was just a call, uh, quote unquote community, uh, patrolman or what, whatever you want to call him, neighborhood watchman. Um, and, uh, right, right. And, and, um, you know, uh, out and seeing this who he thought was someone suspicious and uh engaged this young man and um unfortunately took his life um and we ultimately know that uh george zimmerman was not uh, was exonerated of this crime of murder um you know by the uh, uh florida by the state of florida was not um uh, was, was completely acquitted of any charges against uh Against it, um, and and, the def- and his defense was the stand your ground laws that Florida has. Uh, this this gentleman now is filing a hundred million dollar lawsuit against the mother and father of this slain young man. What do you think of of of, of George Zimmerman and and his recent um, his recent actions toward the family of Trayvon Martin?
2: So, I mean, in my own personal opinion, I was incredibly surprised to have uh, read about this. I, I personally think it's absurd, you know, for someone to, you know, obviously he took the life of uh, Trayvon Martin. You know, he not only took his life, but he was not held accountable. And um, and now he's, you know, seeking to profit off of this. I know that he's, um, I think he's making a claim that there was a conspiracy to frame him Um it, and I think, you know, in my opinion, what he's doing is he's re-victimizing um, Trayvon Martin's family and friends who are uh, certainly have been uh, extremely uh, affected by uh, the loss uh, of you know, Trayvon Martin. But then also, uh, you know, what we see happening is there's a, an attempt to shift the narrative where uh, rather than seeing Trayvon Martin as uh, the victim, uh, George Zimmerman is the one who is um, – Saying that he is the victim of, um, uh, of a, some uh, conspiracy uh, attempt to um, uh, to frame him, um, and so I know we, we know that he um, wasn't charged because at least the the police chief said that there was no grounds to disprove that he shot Martin in self defense. But the reality is we don't know this because you know Trayvon Martin's life was taken, and so um, I mean I know I. I I think this is absurd, you know, to to, to sue the parents of um, uh, of a child who was uh, murdered. You know, the, the, that to me it doesn't even make any logical sense. But it, it's it's absurd in my mind.
3: I understand it's not a it's not an easy one to answer um, because there is definitely some uh, emotions and frustrations that are um you know connected and directly associated with it you know and 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 that's why you know we we're we're hearing you know that vigilante justice should have been uh should have been shown because you know he seemed to have gotten off uh 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 through the criminal justice system there's no there there hasn't been any um you know uh punishment uh that he's experienced because of it, and so we as a community should have responded in some way, uh, because of the life that was taken. And so, yes, I understand that this is a difficult question to answer. Um, but, um, you know, as we get ready to, to wrap this interview, you know, dealing with this, this subject, this highly controversial subject, highly sensitive one as well. You know, I know there might be some parents that might be listening on tonight, uh, that have some young black men, black boys that they're, uh, grooming to become men in this society, and uh, you know, I want you to 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 give these young parents that are listening, uh, you know, the, the, the young men that are growing up in this racially polarized society. There might be again some parents listening tonight. What advice would you give them uh, in raising these young men to help them survive and become well-adjusted, productive citizens in this country?
2: I would say that it is important to uh, raise um, our children to understand the history and the legacy of racism that exists in this country, um, and uh, and to be able to fully detail how that continues to play out in this day and age. We certainly don't want to raise our children to uh, to be fearful, but it is important for them to understand uh, the reality. Of life and how race um, and racism um, uh, is playing out in society. Um, and I think the reality is, I think knowledge is power, right? So I think it's also important for um, uh, kids, for children to be aware of their rights. Um, in terms of you know what they can legally do or not do, for instance, if they are stopped uh, by the police, if they find themselves in um, a, in a predicament, I, I think it's important for people to know uh, their rights. And then I also think it is important for people to um, to organize. You know, activism can look very different uh, for different people, but. I think it is important for people to organize. We know, um, uh, you know, following the death of Michael Brown and Freddie Gray, there have been a number of uh, uh, racial liberation organizations that have uh, – that have started in an attempt to uh, try to bring about uh, justice uh, in terms of changing the criminal justice system or even trying to change even the outcome of the next uh, uh, presidential election, trying to uh, reduce uh, systematic, the systematic dehumanization of uh, black and brown people from, for instance, obviously, uh, you know, the Black Lives Black Lives Matters movement, but also, you uh, know, like Hands Up United, there's Say Her Name, there's the Organization for Black Struggle, the Black Youth Project, there's a number of racial liberation organizations that people can be a part of. Um, uh, and volunteer to really try to – because there is a lot of things going on uh, in an attempt to try to bring about systematic change. So I do think it's important uh, for us to be aware of our history, uh, for us to inform our kids of um, racial oppression and how that uh, looks – in this day and age, in terms of it, uh, even, even the very the subtle ways that this is working out or playing out um, um, within uh, systems like the criminal justice system. But I also think there are opportunities to organize and to engage in activism efforts to really try to bring about change. Because if we want to see change, um, uh, there, we can all make an effort to, to try to bring about change. And so there's efforts to uh, mobilize to try to bring about uh, uh, systematic change that's going on
3: uh, within this. Absolutely, absolutely. I know you guys have enjoyed our interview with, uh, with this scholar, this professor, good friend of ours, professor of criminal justice at Michigan State University, Dr. Jennifer Cobina. We have been so blessed to have had her on the Thinking Out Loud radio show with us on tonight discussing her new book entitled Hands Up, Don't Shoot. Uh, why the protests in Ferguson and Baltimore, um, uh, why they matter and how they changed America. So happy to have had her on the show. And I know that you enjoyed her as well. So before we let you go on tonight, you know, where can people purchase your book? Um, uh, You know, tell us where they can buy your book. Uh, Do you have any books that you're working on currently? And uh, what do you have coming up and how can people follow you?
2: People can purchase a book either on Amazon or uh, uh, Barnes and Nobles. They can also um, uh, go on my website www. com. That's www. jennifercobina. com uh, to purchase uh, my book. They can also purchase it at many, uh, most independent uh, bookstores. Um, I, I do not have any plans just as yet as yet to uh, to write another book, but um, people can uh, certainly follow me on on uh, uh, Twitter um, at uh, j underscore Kobina uh, or they can also uh, follow me on
3: Facebook well there you have it guys we have been so blessed to have had this powerful and intelligent young woman on the thinking out loud radio show dr. Jennifer Kobina associate professor of criminal uh, criminal justice at Michigan State University so happy to have had her on the Thinking Out Loud radio show and uh, just sharing with us some insights into the criminal justice system. And I know you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much, Professor Kobina, for being with us on tonight. We pray that you'll continually be blessed in all that you do and all your endeavors. Uh, Stay in touch with us, everything that you have going on. You know, we hope uh, you enjoy being on the show as much as we enjoyed having you on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. May God continue to bless you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I've truly enjoyed uh, being on the show and I, I'm, I'm grateful that they even have been asked to be on the show. So thank you.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Anniversary Show featuring meteorologist Denise Isaac and the music of lyricist Ty Scott King.
3: Meteorologist from NBC10's Boston, Denise Isaac. What advice would you give a young person looking to get into this profession? Catch it on iTunes, Google
0: Play Music, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Spotify.
2: So continue to work hard. It's not easy. Um, you may have to move to different cities, but it's okay. Really stay humble, you know, and, and learn as much as you can. Learn from others. Don't gossip. Because once again, it's a small business. You may think you will never see
1: uh, this person again And then all of a sudden Guess what? Yes,
0: did. <laughs> did you send in To the female Live radio show Keep it locked Keep it locked
2: Keep it locked <laughs> Congratulations to Pastor Michael Nimmons and the Thinking Out Loud radio show for over 10,000 streams and downloads. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, and now available at michaelnemons.com.
0: The Thinking Out Loud radio show giving voice to issues that matter to you.
3: Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you get were naked? you to believe? Who told you that you were naked? It's a
0: dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimens talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden.
2: Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. It's time, 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 time for the Thinking Out Loud
3: radio show thought, 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 thought of the week. Tonight's thought the week comes from a speech that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave at Stanford University in 1967 entitled, The Other America. It appropriately fits the theme of tonight's show and Dr. Cobina's assessment of the criminal justice system. The shocking and most startling part about this speech is even though it was given over 60 years ago, we're still grappling with some of the same issues and problems that Dr. King addressed at this Ivy League institution.
1: Take a listen. Seeing us here, Mr. Bell, members of the faculty and members of the student body of this great institution of learning, ladies and gentlemen. Now there are several things that uh, one could talk about before such a large, uh, concerned and enlightened audience. There are so many problems facing our nation and our world that one could just take off anywhere. But today I would like to talk mainly about the race problem since I'll have to rush right out and go to New York to talk about Vietnam tomorrow and I've been talking about it a great deal uh, this week and weeks before that. I'd like to use as a subject from which to speak this afternoon the other America. And I use this subject because there are literally two Americas. One America is beautiful for situations. Menacence, this America is overflowing with the milk of prosperity and the honey of opportunity. This America is the habitat of millions of people who have food and material necessities for their bodies, the culture and education for their minds, freedom and human dignity for their spirits. In this America, millions of people experience every day the opportunity of having life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in all of their dimensions. And in this America, millions of young people grow up in the sunlight of opportunity. But tragically and unfortunately, there is another America. And this other America has a daily ugliness about it that constantly transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this America, millions of work-starved men walk the streets daily in search for jobs that do not exist. In this America, millions of people find themselves living in rat-infested, vermin-filled slums. In this America, people are poor by the millions They find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. In a sense the greatest tragedy of this other America is what it does to little children. Little children in this other America a forced to grow up with clouds of inferiority forming every day in their little mental sky. And as we look at this other America, we see it as an arena of blasted hopes and shattered dreams. Many people of various backgrounds live in this other America. America. Some are Mexican-Americans, some are Puerto Ricans, some are Indians. Some uh, happen to be from other groups. Millions of them are Appalachian whites. Probably the largest group in this other America in proportion to its size and the population is the American Negro. The American Negro finds himself living in a triple ghetto. A ghetto of race, a ghetto of poverty, a ghetto... ...is to deal with this problem, to deal with this problem of the two Americas. We are seeking to make America one nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now let me say that the struggle for civil rights, the struggle to make these two Americas one America, is much more difficult today than it was five or ten years ago. For about a decade or maybe twelve years, we struggled all across the south in glorious struggles to get rid of legal overt segregation and all of the humiliation that surrounded that system of segregation in a sense this was a struggle for decency we could not go to a lunch counter in so many instances and get a hamburger or a cup of coffee. We could not make use of public accommodations. Public transportation was segregated. And often we had to sit in the back and within transportation uh, transportation within cities we often had to stand over empty seats because sections were reserved for whites only. We did not have the right to vote in so many areas of the South. And the struggle was to deal with these problems. And certainly they were difficult problems. They were humiliating conditions. By the thousands we protested these conditions, we made it clear that it was ultimately more honorable to accept jail-sale experiences than to accept segregation and humiliation. Five thousand the thousand students and adults decided to sit in at segregated lunch counters to protest conditions there. When they were sitting at those lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream. And seeking to take the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the Founding Fathers in the formulation of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Many things were gained as a result of these years of struggle. In 1964, the Civil Rights Bill came into being After the Birmingham movement, which did a great deal to subpoena the conscience of a large segment of the nation to appear before the judgment seat of morality on the whole question of civil rights. After the Selma movement in 1965, we were able to get a voting rights bill. All of these things represented strides. But we must see that the struggle today is much more difficult it's more difficult today because we are struggling now for genuine equality it's much easier to integrate a lunch counter than it is to guarantee a livable income and a good solid job it's much easier to guarantee the right to vote than it is to guarantee the right to live in sanitary, decent housing conditions. It is much easier to integrate a public park than it is to make genuine, quality, integrated education a reality. The problem that we have faced over the years is that the society placed the stigma on the, the color of the Negro, on the color of the skin, because he was black. Doors were closed to him that were not closed to other groups. I'm to say to people that you ought to lift yourself by your own bootstraps, but it is a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. The fact is the millions of Negroes, as a result, senses of denial and neglect have been left bootless. They find themselves impoverished aliens in this affluent society. And that is a great deal that the society can and must do if the Negro is to gain the economic security that he needs. Now one of the answers, it seems to me, is a guaranteed annual income, a guaranteed minimum income for all people and for all families of our country. It seems to me. It seems to me that the civil rights movement must now begin to organize for the guaranteed annual income, begin to organize people all over our country, mobilize forces, so that we can bring to the attention of our nation this need and this something which I believe will go a long, long way toward dealing with the Negroes' economic problem and the economic problem which many other poor people confronting our nation. Now, I said I wasn't going to talk about Vietnam, but I can't make a speech without mentioning some of the problems that we face there because Because I think this war has diverted attention from civil rights. It has strengthened the forces of reaction in our country and has brought to the forefront the military-industrial complex that even President Eisenhower warned us against at one time. Above all, it is destroying human lives. Destroying the lives of thousands of the young, promising men of our nation long the lives of little boys and little girls in Vietnam. But one of the greatest things that this war is doing to us in civil rights is that it is allowing the great society to be shot down on the battlefields of Vietnam every day. And I submit this afternoon we can end poverty in the United States. Our nation has the resources to do it national growth product of America will rise to the astounding figures, from $800 this year. We have the resources, Questionnaire, whether well the nation has the will. And I submit that if we can spend $5 billion a year to fight an ill-considered war in Vietnam and $20 billion to put a man on the moon, Our nation can spend billions of dollars and on their own two feet right here on earth.
3: I hope you enjoyed that uh, excerpt from that powerful uh, speech delivered by Dr. Martha King Jr. It was more like a lecture entitled The Other America. Many scholars and historians believe that this speech was a speech to put Dr. King on the trajectory uh, to be assassinated because of the glaring truths that he spoke of uh, during this speech uh, at Stanford University back in 1967. Just a powerful, powerful um, uh, leader, One that, um, you know, would continually greatly be missed and uh, just uh, tremendous um, left an indelible mark uh, in this in this community and one that will never, ever be forgotten. Want to give a special thanks and shout out to professor and author. Dr. Jennifer a uh, professor of criminal justice at Michigan State University and author of Hands Up, Don't Shoot, for being on the show tonight. We truly appreciate your thoughts into the criminal justice system and the problem of police brutality in the black community. We've got to have you back on the show. We truly enjoyed you. If you want to purchase her book or follow her on social media, just go to her website at jennifercobina.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-N. F-E-R-C-O-B-B-I-N-A dot com. Thank you again for tuning in to tonight's show. We truly, truly appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the show. We hope you enjoyed everything that we discussed on tonight. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook uh, at facebook.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at TheTOL Radio Show or TOL Radio Host MSN. We would love to hear from you or just shoot us an email at contact at michaelnemons.com or stop by our website at michaelnemis.com and leave us a comment right from our Thinking Out Loud radio show homepage. Guys, there's so many ways you can keep up with us. We would love to hear from you. Remember uh, to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Your support helps to increase our exposure across the world wide web. So until next time, always remember, if you can think it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can see it. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, you can achieve it. The power rests within you. The mind is the most powerful muscle in your body. Use what you got to get what you want. The power is in you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast. Be sure to support all of our radio show partners. If you like the show, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. Want to book radio show host Michael Nemes for a speaking engagement, book signing, or corporate event? Send an email to contact at michaelnemitz.com. Sure, to follow the show on all of its social media accounts on Instagram at the TOL Radio Show, on Twitter at TOL Radio Show, or on our Facebook fan page at www.facebook.com forward slash thinking out loud radio show. Are you an entrepreneur, want to advertise? Become a thinking out loud radio show partner and take advantage of our free and introductory advertising offers. Send an email to Thinkin' Out Loud Radio Show at gmail.com for more details. Visit the new home of the Thinkin' Out Loud Radio Show at www.michaelnemons.com forward slash TOL Radio Show. The Thinkin' Out Loud Radio Show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.